Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Welcome to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Today we have uh, two wonderful guests who will be discussing the musculoskeletal tumor registry, which is part of our focus on research and data in sarcoma care. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Dr. Brinkman is unable to join us today, so you will be having me as the solo host. Fortunately, we have two other wonderful uh, individuals to join me today, the first of which is Dr. Benjamin Miller, who is the professor of orthopedics at the Iowa College of Medicine. Along with being professor of orthopedics at Iowa College of Medicine, he also is the co-lead at the Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center, as well as their Sarcoma Multidisciplinary Oncology Group. Uh, And specific to our topic today, he heads the Musculoskeletal Tumor Registry. He was fellowship trained in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, and our second guest is uh, Tusa Moreno. She is the program manager for the registry and the registry division in the AOS, which is the Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. We're very excited to have our guests on today. Thanks, Yuzu. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm not sure if I uh, covered everything, uh, Dr. Miller. How uh, is there anything that I missed uh, about all the all the things that you do? Yeah, no, the word salad. No, you got it. It's it's hard to fit on a single letterhead, but I try to do it. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Titles are titles are just one thing, but it's all about kind of the effort and and how you spend your time. And uh, uh, in terms of uh, your practice, you're out in Iowa. Um, how is that uh, for you, at least uh, around this time of the year? And uh, if I believe you're probably one of two uh, orthopedic oncologists, sarcoma surgeons. Yeah, there's not many of us. So um, technically, I'm effectively, I would say the only one in Iowa. Um, there's a couple other with training. I had a senior partner who um, isn't clinically active anymore. Um, for a while, he's he and I. But Iowa is, um, yeah, it's an interesting place to practice. It's a, uh, it's a state of 3 million. And so if you do the numbers, that's kind of about the right number for supporting one or two orthopedic oncologists um, like like what you and I are. So many more than that, then it ends up that you're not doing a lot of orthopedic oncology and um, too few. And I would say right now I'm a little overextended. Um, you know, you start to just kind of wonder how you're going to get all the work done. So it's, it's been a really interesting place to practice. I'm from Iowa. So this is home for me. So that, you know, that's a little bit um, of a special feel. You know, it's not just another job. I feel like you know, these are my people. This is my town. I actually grew up in Iowa City where the university is. So um, so the job's important to me and the, the environment's important and, and doing well by the people that raised me is a, is a you know, good goal. Um, you know, the University of Iowa is the only medical school in the state. And so that allows us, you know, we see all the trainees in the state. A lot of the trainees will stay around Iowa, around the Midwest. So that really is helpful for referral networks. So one of the things um, I'm sure you've covered in this podcast is, the critical need for early diagnosis and quick referral and all these kinds of things. So I, I feel like we have that done pretty well in Iowa, just because everyone knows you go to the university if you have a sarcoma. And, and I know most of the orthopedic surgeons in the state, most of them have my cell phone or email and and we try to get people taken care of and, and, and to see me as soon as possible. So yeah, I was, I was been good. I've been here about a dozen years. So um, kind of know my way around things and, it's a beautiful time of the year in the Midwest. You know, this is, you could argue probably early to mid-October is is the time of year. The leaves are changing, falls in the air. So it's all good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I haven't been to Iowa, but I'm I'm supposed to plan a trip there uh, because a close friend of mine actually uh, is a general surgeon uh, out there. So um, it, yeah, if you get close to Iowa City, easily let me know. Uh, sure we go out to dinner or something. 
Yes, sir. Miss Moreno. Uh, you're, you're in Chicago, actually, which is a city that I've definitely been to uh, many times. Uh, how, are, how are things over there? And then uh, how did you get uh, involved with the tumor registry? Yeah, things are, are good over here. Uh, but I uh, started with the academy actually about a year ago as program manager um, for this clinical data registry for musculoskeletal tumors. As you know, I've mentioned to you before, um, you know, I had made the transition into this role from another healthcare association. And while I brought with me some you know, transferable skills to help manage and lead the registry um, and help ramp it up, um, you know, a lot of, of what I do is um, really just trying to figure out, you know, the best angle of um, presenting meaningful and valuable information in the registry for, for patients. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. So uh, before we go uh, any further, uh, since this uh, is part of our uh, sections on research, uh, specifically uh, associated with oncologic and sarcoma care, um, Dr. Miller, you're someone who is very involved, um, well-published. Uh, can you share any uh, um, I guess basics of research uh, in sarcoma care and some of the difficulties that might be associated with that, uh, possibly in relation to the rarity of the diseases and how unique uh, each case is? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question. And, um, you know, you're incidentally, you're welcome to call me Ben. I don't know if you keep things formal, but <laughs> please, please yeah, do. I, I can't actually. Ben, Ben's, Ben's my twin brother's name. So, yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all good. Whatever, whatever's best for you. So, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, you hit it right on. You know, what are the problems with um, with research in sarcoma? And, and obviously with research, what you're trying to do is you're trying to learn lessons. Uh, and I always kind of present we're really doing two things in sarcoma care. We're trying to make lives longer. So you're trying to get cures, hopefully durable cures. If not, you're trying to extend life in, in situations like metastatic disease. And we're trying to make lives better. And I think if, if anything, there's a focus on the former more so than the latter. But as orthopedic surgeons, this is the thing that's really important to us is we're trying to make lives better. We're trying to think about how is somebody going to function and how is their life going to be after we've cured them, hopefully, of their sarcoma. And so the, the point of research is to figure out how best to do that. You know, are we doing the best operative procedures? Are we treating certain cancers the way that we need to? Um, are we using chemotherapy and radiation? Uh, and I'm talking specifically about clinical research. So there's certainly basic science research and transitional. Most of my work has been in clinical research, and, and certainly the, um, the registry is, is a tool for clinical research. So I'll focus on that. But I would say, you know, the the... Biggest challenges, one is the numbers, the rarity of the disease. It's just really hard that if you don't see something a lot, it's hard to pick up the trends and to really understand something. And incidentally, all of these things are segues into the registry where I think that, you know, this is going to be the way that we can counter some of the deficiencies. So if it's, you know, me where I'm at or you're where you're at and we're trying to learn something, it's going to be really hard to take our 20 patients and really come up with a meaningful conclusion. But if you and I and a few other people work together, you know, now our numbers are looking pretty good. Maybe we can get some of those answers. Um, the other issue along with rarity is, is the heterogeneity. So there's so much difference in how people show up, you know, who are they, what age are they? where's the tumor, how big is it, what anatomic structures is it around? So it's, it's different than like colon cancer or breast cancer, where it's kind of the same intervention or operation every time, you know, ours is 
it's it's part of the the fun, if you want to call it that, of our specialty. It keeps you really engaged because you kind of every time you have to think about who is the person I'm trying to treat, what is important to them, how am I going to cure them of cancer, and what are they going to look like afterwards. And so again, that's just a challenge. You know, when you number one have a rare tumor, number two have a tumor that presents very differently. Um, every time you see it, it's just it's hard to get the um, the information you need to be able to make uh, to draw any kind of conclusion. Those both are, are, you know, really why the the registry is, I think, a good idea and why it's going to be successful. I would put out there maybe a third challenge of sarcoma research is one of nomenclature. And what I mean by that is the way we name tumors, you know, there's a a ton of different subtypes. I've heard numbers all over the place, 100, 150, 200. I usually just say greater than 50 because I think everyone knows that there's greater than 50. But the way that we name tumors, you know, a lot of it is just how do they look under the microscope? Still, some of them are, you know, a little bit more um, nuanced than that. But a lot of it is just how does it look? And that's like trying to, um, you know, categorize species of dogs by what color their hair or their fur is, you know, it just kind of, it doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you're trying to get to how something happens or why it happens. Um, so, you know, hopefully this is something that over time we get better at, at naming these tumors. Um, the other thing we notice is that tumors by the same name, you know, I, I can think of like, you know, PVNS, sometimes you see pigmented venodulocinivitis, which is a benign tumor, that grows in people's joints. And sometimes you take it to surgery and it does just fine. And sometimes it's a total disaster and you can never get ahead of it. And we call them the same thing. So clearly we're missing something. There's something more to the story. And the second part of nomenclature is it's very subjective. You know, our pathology colleagues are, are critical. They're smart. They're just as engaged and taking care of sarcoma patients as any one of us. Um, but they're human, right? And it's, it's all about what does somebody think this thing is? Uh, and they have some pretty sophisticated tools and they can kind of get to get to where they need to be. But we we still have some cancers that, you know, we'll have an opinion at the University of Iowa and there's an opinion at Mayo Clinic and there's an opinion at Boston. And everybody's smart and everybody's saying just subtly something different for some of these strange tumors. So for me, these are the kind of the three biggest things that are uh, inhibitors in clinical research. Wow. And I, I definitely um, definitely agree with that. And uh, in some ways, uh, I think sarcoma care is uh, an imperfect science. And uh, I think as we um, move along, as we all continue to work towards that, we really want to make it more or as close to perfect uh, as possible. Uh, definitely uh, getting more information and being able to use that uh, as tools can be pretty helpful. And I think that brings me to my, my next question. Probably what is the, the main question for the episode, uh, the musculoskeletal tumor registry? Uh, and, you know, Atusa maybe can go first or or Dr. Miller. Yeah. So before even just diving into the just the musculoskeletal tumor registry, I think it might you know behoove some of your listeners to understand what a clinical data registry is. Um, and typically, you know, these registries are large databases that are acquiring health information on particular defined patient populations that might have you know, related um, reasons for seeking care. So whether that be, you know, an alignment in uh, diseases or um, any sort of uh, implants or, or anything like that. Data about these diseases and conditions and procedures are, you know, often used to help seek out like what medical devices could be helpful and um, also what types of outcomes could help improve patient care um, and also help make informed decisions about, you know, the course of patient care as well. 
And so by having a registry where we're able to gather data from various institutions and engage surgeons, and I'll let you know that the orthopedic oncologists are some of the most passionate engaged surgeons that, you know, I've come across, you really value the work and, and want to um, progress the field and, and really learn about these diseases. And so by collating all that data in one place by the masses, we can extract that information, analyze it, um, evaluate those patient outcomes, look at trends, again, track device performance. And, um, you know, it's also valuable for researchers, as I mentioned before, and, and healthcare providers, medical educators, uh, technology to improve, you know, the patient experience and overall outcomes. And so the MSTR, um, you know, was really Dr. Miller's passion project. So I, I would probably hand it back over to him to talk about, you know, the inception of how that began. And then uh, I'm happy to talk a little bit more about the partnership um, with AOS and, and kind of how we've been able to grow it. You want to hear a story, Izu? Tell you the story of the registry. Absolutely. Absolutely. We love stories here. Yeah. So, um, so the story begins in 1920, believe it or not. So a guy named Ernest Codman, which will be familiar to orthopedic oncologists for two reasons. We have the Codman's triangle, which is a kind of a radiographic sign described in osteosarcoma, um, you kind of see this little triangle of, of calcification on the side of the bone uh, and Codman's tumor, which is a chondroblastoma. But he was a guy, um, you know, early on, um, mostly, you know, most of the early surgeons were in the East Coast. I think he was in Boston, maybe New York for a portion of the time. But he came up with an idea uh, that he took through the American College of Surgeons and he wanted to create something called the Bone Sarcoma Registry. And the purpose of this registry, he had really two questions. One, is anybody alive who has a sarcoma? And two, what did you do to that person if there is somebody alive? So this is the state of the, of the field in 1920. Is there anyone alive who's ever had a sarcoma? So he started this and, you know, it, it resonates a little bit with what Atusa said and just, you know, how great of a population orthopedic oncologists are as a specialty because when um, uh, Codman reached out, he found a lot of willing participants to share their cases. And he actually asked a lot. This is, uh, will be interesting, um, in the context of what, uh, what we're trying to do in the registry with, with really making it easier, easy for providers to enter data. You know, they were asking for descriptions of how people presented and send me the x-rays and send me the pathology, um, and really tried to get a, uh, you know, a cohort of, um, of sarcomas together. So this was really kind of the first attempt. A couple things came out from that. One is, you know, the ability of people to work together. Um, another is um, this idea of uh, standardization of care. You know, what are best practices? What, what, what should we be doing? Um, and then Kahneman is really focused on this idea of end results. You know, strangely enough, at that time in history, it was more important to get a patient in and, and do something to them. And you didn't really care about what happened afterwards. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of, are we doing the right thing? So this is actually the first, one of the first registries, really, if you look into the reports, um, and it was a sarcoma registry back in um, uh, the early 1920s. So if you fast forward a little bit, um, you know, I in the Musculoskeletal Tumor Society, which is the um, Society of Orthopedic Oncologists in the United States, um, and that's easy. Both you and I are members there, and this is—it's all 
you know, members supporting this registry. And, and the idea really came up through the MSTS, even though it's the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, the AAOS, who is actually running it. Um, and incidentally, every time I say the word we, not only do I mean Atusa and myself, but I mean all of the surgeons who have worked on this thing for a number of years. And we have had dozens of collaborators, very, very engaged, um, very interested, uh, a ton of support staff. So um, I'll use this opportunity to thank all of them for all the work that they put in and really recognize that Atusa and I get the benefit of, of being out here telling about the registry, but um, but this is certainly an, an effort of, of a large group of, of dedicated individuals. So if you go, you know, when I was in training, um, it was really great to go to these meetings. You know, I had finally figured out what I wanted to do in orthopedics. I was really engaged in orthopedic oncology. I didn't know that much. Um, so everything was new and it was great. And it was this whole new world. Um, and then you go back, um, you know, you go to like your third meeting and you're kind of like, I feel like I've heard this paper before. You know, it kind of is. It's what I was talking about. You have these like single center, just a few, can't really make any conclusions. And you start to say, well, you know, there's got to be, you know, a better way of doing this. And that's when I kind of first started about, well, this idea of, of collaboration. So I did my fellowship at the University of Florida, as you mentioned, and they have a great database down there. And they're one of the historic, you know, orthopedic oncology centers. It's a fairly young specialty, so not much more than, you know, 50 or so years old. So it doesn't go back very far. Um but University of Florida was one of the original sites. Dr. Bill Enneking, who was one of the, the founders of orthopedic oncology, that was his place. So they have a you know decades-long registry. So this is where I kind of looked in and I learned some things. One, the power of a registry if you're trying to um, do a clinical research project. The other is um, some downsides of registry. So we would see issues with data collection. You know, there'd be things like knee or femur or tibia, and you don't really know, like, what is that? Right. What are we looking at? So, you know, one of the lessons I learned is if you're if you're collecting information in a database, it's got to be clean. It's, you know, the users that put it in, you have to be able to trust what they're doing. People have to be engaged. It has to be in a format where you're not going to have, uh, you know, problems with with the data elements. And then when I got done, you know, I got done and I had a, a group of colleagues. And um, I think what we all realized was we had a lot of good questions, but now we were all at smaller institutions. And so I started at Iowa and Iowa didn't have a database and I didn't have any patients because I just started, but I still had a lot of questions. Um, so the only way that we could work these together is to is to collaborate and put our patients in, and we kind of formed a group. It's actually the Mori Group, Musculoskeletal Oncology Research Initiative, which is kind of a group. It's morphed into kind of a research slash kind of fellowship support um, young surgeon group in the tumor society. Um, but back when we started it, the intention was was purely collaborative research. Um, so we started with that. I actually had some interest in um, forming a registry kind of early on in my career. And I, I explored this idea of uh, having patients join a registry online. So a registry that's, that was not bound by institution or bound really by country or anything. And I had kind of a website and there was a, a consent form and people could decide whether they wanted to join the registry or not. And then I asked patients a lot of questions that I thought were important. What kind of tumor did you have? How big was it? What was your surgery? I had a little card I would send that said like, you know, here are the critical things that you need. Ask your providers to, to help you fill them in. With my question being is like, could we just take medical records? Could we take providers out of it and just have kind of a grassroots uh, registry? That was interesting. I called it the sarcoma registry for outcomes and results, the sarcoma roar. 
which I thought was kind of an aggressive title, but I couldn't figure out anything else. First, I'm definitely amazed and very, very impressed. I mean, did you get a lot of, I'm sure you, you know, I mean, I we think. Did. Yeah, we had like 26 states. I think one other country, like a lady from England <laughs> submitted it. I'm sad to say that I started going through the data and it wasn't good. You know, people like couldn't even answer. Did they have limb salvage or did they have an amputation? And I think what I learned from that, as much as I'd like to say, let's do a grassroots patient registry. If you want to do research and you want to answer a question, you have to know that the data is accurate in there. And so that was the I think that was the critical flaw of that effort. It was it was great. I learned a lot. Um, but that was that taught me that you, there's no shortcuts when it comes to registries. You just got to do it right. And you have to have information that you're going to trust. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to add, I think the sort of the sarcoma community is very supportive, you know, across the board. Like even when I started uh, and when uh, at least I started a podcast, I mean, we've had nothing but uh, just uh, outpouring of support uh, from people uh, and family. So I'm just I'm very impressed that you started a website and you had all these people actually sending in information. It was great. Yeah. I mean, they didn't take much convincing. And, you know, I don't have a huge social media presence, you know, me and my army of 32 Twitter followers. So I totally agree with you. I don't think sarcoma patients and families and um, providers and their support, they don't need much motivation to to join in an effort to try to make sarcoma care better. Which is great. I mean, what a wonderful place to be in. Um, and so, the, so then this gets us to this this modern attempted registry. So, you know, I think a lot of things came together at once. So I had these. I had this interest here. Um, I tried these other efforts. They didn't really work out so well. But some recognition that the time was getting close to being right. Some of these other registries had um, kind of failed because I think the timing was off because they were needing too much money or they needed to hire administrators or they were counting on surgeons, put the data in and they just, you know, people get busy and they, they lose enthusiasm. Um, so with harnessing technology, and this is something I'm sure we're going to get into and really taking advantage of the medical record. Um, we felt like this was going to be a really good time to actually start thinking about something on a larger scale that could be durable and sustainable. And then the other thing is just the Musculoskeletal Tumor Society is just a great organization with a lot of engaged people. And it didn't take much to convince people that that we needed a registry and now is the time to do it. So that was actually in 2016, believe it or not. That was six years ago we started talking about that, where I, I kind of asked for, for the floor at the business meeting um, at one of the annual meetings and kind of pitched the idea. And then I put a group together um, and uh, it was we had basically two different uh groups that were working one was working on the data elements so what did we actually want to collect in order to have research quality data and the other was vendors so we didn't know who would build it you know this isn't going to be something that we could build from excel or redcap you know if we wanted it to do the things that we wanted it to do and so that was a real problem um the data elements were kind of easy i mean you can you can look and i think it's pretty straightforward you know what kinds of things do you need to know if you're going to make an assertion about a result for sarcoma, um, you know, local recurrence, metastatic disease, are they alive or not alive? Uh, where was the tumor? What's the histology? How big was it? How did you treat it? You know, all these kinds of things that, that came pretty easily. The vendors was a little bit different. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, we did end up getting a grant. Um, we, we've actually had two grants over the years, both from the Orthopedic Research and Education Foundation, the OREF, which is a really great um, 
uh, great institution, supports a lot of, of early research in orthopedics, and they supported us. So we did have um, $100,000 to do a pilot trial and to work on building infrastructure, things like this. Um, but we looked around and, um, you know, it was fortuitous that it was right at the time that the AAOS was looking to create this idea of a family of registries. So they always had the joint replacement registry, hip and knee, million patients in it, you know, flagship registry in orthopedics. And it's right up there with the biggest and most powerful and most important registries in the world. Um, and that has a storied history of its own. It was with the AOS and then it was on its own and now it's back with the AOS. And so the idea that the Academy had, and you got to give credit to the Academy leadership for a lot of foresight in this is let's have a registry in every subspecialty. So started with hip and knee replacement and then went on to shoulder and elbow. Uh, and this is about the time that we're looking for a vendor and AOS was one of the ones we looked at. And when we talked about it as a group, it became very clear that we were just going to have to make the AOS work. And it's really for issues of sustainability because you start to look at these figures. What does it take to build a registry and maintain a registry? It's in the millions, you know, if not double digit millions. And there's no way that a, you know, society of 220 orthopedic oncologists, the Musculoskeletal Tumor Society is going to be able to support an effort like that long term. The AOS is the one, you know, a huge membership, um, you know, a huge voice in the community that if we can get into the fold with that, that's really the, the way that everybody wins. You know, the AOS can get a tumor registry and, and we as tumor surgeons can get what we want, which is this great resource for, um, for future research. So that worked out really well. Um, I had to make a bit of a pitch, quite honestly, that um, because the, the way the AOS looks at how do they uh, add on to their subspecialty registries, they usually look at impact their membership. Um, and that is the one thing that the the tumor docs cannot say is that that we represent a huge portion of the membership. You know, we're we're a very small minority of orthopedic surgeons. Um, but what we could advocate for is cancer patients are important. Um, this is an area that no other registry is looking at. Um, this is an area that needs advocates and um, to be able to to successfully advocate for something, you need data behind it. And all the work that we did, now this is two years later, to, you know, 2018, all the work that we did building up to find a vendor to build a registry actually completed the pitch. You know, the last thing I said is, hey, we're ready to go. We have a dedicated team of surgeons. We have all our data elements and we have $100,000 in funding. And all you have to do is say yes, and you have a new registry. So that's why we got in. So we were essentially tied. Um, I think it was uh, hip and knee and then spine maybe. And then I think we tied with shoulder and elbow, but we, we were, you know, the fourth one in there, which I think we were lucky to get in there and, and get the great support that a two center team gives to us. You're actually the third registry. We were the third. Hey, look at that bronze medal. I, I, I want to add, I was at that uh, meeting in 2016. I was a resident. I had no idea I wasn't supposed to stay for the business meeting. And, and, I, and I listened to you speak uh, about the registry. I was like, man, it would be really nice uh, to definitely have something like that. So, yeah, it's, you just got to have a little patience, I guess. <laughs> At least I didn't promise anything the next year. <laughs> but, um, no, that's this is uh, it's definitely an um, amazing story. Uh, so if you guys uh, don't mind, could we? I'm just going to ask maybe uh, some specific questions. That maybe some of our listeners, uh, patients, maybe their families might be, uh, you know, thinking about at least at this point. Uh, so, in terms of the registry 
and sounds like there'll be information collected. Are there any specific uh, information collected regarding the patients themselves? Or does anything need to be, is everything protected uh, in terms of their personal uh, information? Is it just related to uh, their pathology uh, and treatments? Yeah, so the type of information that's collected by the registry includes information such as patient demographics, such as age, gender, race, um, and then surgeon information, and then name and location of the institution where the procedure is formed, the reason for the surgery, details on the, the procedure and diagnoses, and then any sort of follow-up encounters where we would gather information on any sort of adverse events or complications that the patient may have experienced during or after, um, and also some information on implants as well. And as far as, far as uh, you know, privacy and, and that topic, it's when the hospital or clinic or the physicians participating in the registry, the information about that healthcare is recorded um, through a secure database within the set parameters to protect that privacy. And then registries will then take that data um, privacy and, and security protocols very seriously and, and follow the rules and regulations that you know, we're bound by to protect that health information. So um, as far as like public information, a lot of the registry dashboards um, are where the surgeons and institutions would go to see their data uh, visualized um, for those, those pre-op and, and post-op procedures and, you know, the details like Dr. Miller mentioned on you know, grades and biopsies and margins and things of that nature. Um, but it is, you know, once it's produced there, it is de-identified uh, patient information. So, uh, when you're looking at those national benchmarks, um, you know, we're looking at aggregate information. And so there's, we, we really do make sure that you know, the patient privacy piece is covered. Fantastic. And then my next question is, how do people get involved uh, with this registry? So if um, as a surgeon trying to make sure that my institution is enrolled or uh, as a patient who might be listening to this and saying, well, I want to know if my, you know, doctor is part of this registry, or I would like for me or my my family member who's having surgery to do this registry so that their the information from their experience can be used to better other people's treatments. Yeah. So as a surgeon, um, you would you know, talk to your institution and you know have them potentially sign up for the registry and, and we would have you on board. And there are some certain data extracts that we're working on standardizing to help with minimizing the burden of data input and output essentially as well. Um, and then we would have you onboarded and, and work through with your IT department, um, typically on getting some of that data pulled out um, and then input into the registry. And then as far as a patient, and I think the, the patient role is, is pretty critical, is because, you know, a functioning and reliable registry really is going to re require robust data collection. And not only does that require heavily on you know, clinical participation from our surgeons, which we've you know, touched on, this group is, is, they're engaged, they're in it, they want to give the data, they're ready. Um, but as far as, you know, the patient role, there are things that are called, you know, patient reported outcomes. 
and there are surveys that are sent at different intervals to uh, patients receiving care preoperatively and postoperatively. And those will really help glean insight on the, the results and the quality of life um, that the patients have you know, after surgery and, and really just trying to um, gather the holistic picture of not only the clinical piece, but the patient piece, because that patient piece does tell a story. So it, it is really imperative um, although it's difficult to capture the information when we send out those surveys, it really is imperative for the patients to get involved in their treatment and share that information so that we can get you know, that full view um, of what we can do to improve outcomes and, and care and uh, quality measures. Yeah, I'll maybe just add a little bit um, to each point. So I'll, I'll start with uh, the patient-reported outcomes that, that you mentioned, which is, is critically important. And um, you know, what we're trying to do, so this is not the first cancer registry. It's not even the first registry that, that contains information about sarcoma. There's, there's two other big ones in the country. One is the Surveillance Epidemiology and End Results Database called SEER. This is run by the National Cancer Institute. And this captures about, about a quarter of the U.S. population, you know, various uh, states and, and metro areas. It's a really good epidemiologic database. And what I mean by that is you can really trust uh, the diagnosis and you can trust uh, the survival data. Um, but the treatment data is not so good. So if, if you're trying to make some kind of assertion about whether, you know, treatment A is better than treatment B or how did somebody do, did they have a limp postoperatively, you know, it doesn't have any of that stuff. Um, the other big one is the National Cancer Database that's run by the American College of Surgeons. Uh, and that's a big one too. It's got a lot of sarcomas in it. It has a little bit more treatment data, um, but not, uh, you know, it, it'll maybe say like, you know, surgery to a limb or something like that, amputation versus limb salvage, but but not too much more uh, than that kind of uh, that detail. And so what we're trying to do uh, with the musculoskeletal tumor registry is, is really improve on that in, in two major ways. So the first is to actually get more granular with surgery. So this is really a kind of surgeon-focused database. So we're not just wanting to know limb salvage versus not. We're kind of wanting to know how much bone did you resect? How did you re reconstruct it? What implant did you use? Did you have to supplement it with any bone graft? You know, really getting down to those details of surgery where hopefully we can, can actually answer some of these questions. Is procedure A better than procedure B in, in some of these um, you know, long debated uh, topics, limb salvage versus amputation, but also pelvic reconstruction, um, proximal humerus reconstruction, allograft versus implant, um, you know, a lot of a lot of things that people have been talking about for decades. And then we're also recording not only the oncologic outcomes, uh, survivorship and, and local control, um, but also functional outcomes. Uh, and this is novel. There's no, there's no other database that is going to be able to report on how somebody is actually doing after they're treated for sarcoma, which is an incredibly important topic. So survivorship is something that we don't talk about enough, quite honestly. You know, we talk about cancer cure. That's really great. Uh, we need to talk about that. We also need to talk about what does it look like when your cancer has gone and now you're trying to get back to work and now you're trying to have a family and now you're trying to you know reintegrate into life. This is an incredibly important topic. Uh, and there's not much out there. And so we're trying to make a difference in, in figuring out, even if it's just uh, counseling for patients, here's what you can expect after surgery. You know, some of that, uh, any little bit is going to make a difference. So 
what Atusa said, you know, what patients can do, all of these databases, SEER, National Cancer Database, the uh, Musculoskeletal Tumor Registry, from a patient, you don't join it. You know, you're just in it when you go to an institution. Your data is protected. Um, you know, there's there's not a risk of confidentiality. Um, nobody's going to call you up and try to sell you something, you know, these kinds of things. But um, but but you're in it. You're contributing to it. But But what's unique about the tumor registry is the patient input is really important and it's put in through these uh, patient reported outcomes. So we have a global health measure and we have a functional outcome measure. And these are the things that we're going to be able to tell how people do afterwards. So, you know, what can people do? I think asking their institution, if they're a part of the tumor registry, that's great. You know, any enthusiasm we can build, you know, this is one of our, our big things as the registry gets up and going is we want as many participants as possible. Um, and the other is is filling out the patient reported outcomes. And some of them are long. You know, why do you want to sit there and fill out 40 more questions? And it's not always obvious. I think us as providers, we can do a better job using those as we counsel patients. I've been trying to more and more in my clinic, and it does help with with people filling them out if they kind of understand why they're filling them out and they can see, you know, their progress and their recovery over time. You know, if you think about it, easy, we don't need to we don't need to convince somebody that they need an x-ray, right? But everybody knows what an x-ray is. We bring the x-ray up. Hey, here's your bone. Here's what we're looking at. So we should be doing the same thing with patient reported outcomes. So, um, but, you know, incomplete data is a, it's a nightmare when you're trying to do clinical research. It's hard to deal with. It, it makes any study that you're trying to do less important and less generalizable. Uh, and so filling out patient reported outcomes is certainly something tangible people can do. And then on the institution part to ask your answer your question about, you know, how, how does the surgeon get involved? Um, I, I'd want to point out, um, you know, we kind of have four pillars of this registry, four things that have really been our guiding principles. So one is that we want to collect research quality data. Um, another is that we want to make the entry burden as minimal as possible on providers. And this is, as we allude to a bit, this is really using the electronic medical record. We do have some additional forms um, providers need to fill out, but, but they, um, you know, once you get the hang of it, it actually doesn't take too long. We wanted to have a framework where we can have future innovation. Um, so, you know, if there's a new test or we have a new question or there's a new data element that we want to record, we want to be able to do that. And then finally, we want to be inclusive. So we want this registry not to be just for the big centers. We want this registry to be for everybody that wants to participate. Now, there are fees. There are kind of institutional IT requirements, there are some barriers to participation, but this is something that, um, you know, I think the AOS is engaged with, and I don't think anybody should should feel like they're too small or maybe their department's not going to support it financially. I mean, these conversations at least should be had. Um, we may not be able to get everybody in there, but we certainly want to have a conversation with everybody who's interested. Yeah, and to piggyback off of that and kind of what the academy is doing and, and just given that, you know, the, this registry, is, the MSTR is really a, a main focus for the academy as part of our strategic initiatives. And so we really are working towards creating multiple resources for the various types of centers that are collecting this information to try to make it as seamless as possible for them. So, as you know, not every institution is going to be running on the same EMR, so we're looking to find out, you know, the best way that we can work with each site to um, facilitate that onboarding process for them. That's fantastic. I'm definitely, um, definitely uh, interested. Uh, he, down here at the uh, University of Mississippi, we'll definitely be uh, looking into how we can get involved, for sure. 
So, I mean, I think I think that's been wonderful. Um, we've definitely touched on a lot of the major uh, things and questions that I had uh, regarding the registry. Uh, usually when we have uh, orthopedic oncologists on uh, the uh, uh, on the podcast, uh, we always ask uh, for any words of advice for sarcoma patients, uh, sarcoma survivors and their families, uh, caregivers, uh, if you don't mind uh, sharing uh, some uh, brief words with us, uh, Dr. Miller. Uh, yeah, sure. No, I'd be happy to. Well, um, you know, I, I, I would say I, I think the balance is tipped towards me learning more from my patients than me <laughs> teaching them. You know, I can teach somebody about sarcoma, but I've certainly learned a lot about people. I've learned a lot about humanity. I've learned a lot about life um, just by being able to have um, patients and seeing family members and seeing communities go through what they do. So, um, so I don't, you know, maybe advice is not the, the right word because I, I feel like I'm an empathetic person, but I certainly, um, and I, I'm not, I don't have a sarcoma. I don't have a family member that has a sarcoma. I've had family members that have gone through, you know, cancer. So I kind of know what that's like, but, um, but it is, um, uh, I guess when I would, if I would say when I got into the sarcoma business, um, I did it for, I think a sense of justice, you know, you probably have the same instinct when you, when you see somebody that has a sarcoma is it's just, it's not fair. Um, there are some cancers, nobody likes to have cancer, but there's some cancers that, you know, somebody's 85 and they smoke for 40 years, you know, you can kind of see, okay, well, you made some choices and, and maybe those choices have consequences. Um, that's not the case with sarcoma. And these are people that getting, they're, they're getting hit with this really life changing uh, and life-threatening, really scary diagnosis. And they could be five years old. They could be 12. They could be 25. They could be my age. I could be looking into a mirror and, and it is just, it, it totally changes everything in a heartbeat, all of the vision that you had for your life and everything is different. And I guess what I would say is that um, life goes on. I mean, one of the things that is, uh, that I've had the perspective is I get to see how strong people are and how resilient the human animal is and how people are just going to figure out how to make life work. And so for people that are going through it right now, um, it's hard to imagine, you know, sometimes it just seems like a bad dream a nightmare that you're not going to wake up for, wake up from that. You're going to wake up from any minute. Um, but it settles after a while, you know, and, and, and humans, like I said, humans are resilient and, and life goes on. Um, the other thing that I think in as much as I think, you know, social media can be a, uh, a negative in, um, in our society. One of the positive things that it's done is it's turned uh, a rare disease like sarcoma into something that, um, that you can find people that are going through your same experience. And so I think the internet and social media, um, and different, you know, sarcoma specific groups or support groups, Facebook groups, these are all really great. Um, so I think the other thing I would say is that, um, sarcomas are rare, but you're not alone. Uh, and there's people out there that are going through the same thing you are, whether you're a patient or whether you're a, um, you know, family member or provider or friend. Um, so seek those resources out. I think you have to curate them a little bit. Just make sure you're not on, on the wrong one. You know, you want to be on a supportive, positive, um, optimistic one, but, um, but there's people out there that, uh, that are going through the same thing you are. And, and, um, it's always good to, to hear that, to, to talk to somebody that, that can share your experience. Thank you for that. That was amazing. Um, and yeah, if anyone is looking for, uh, some, uh, social media, uh, 
site to visit about sarcomas, you can always check us out at uh, Sarcoma Insight uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and <clears throat> and I really think, uh, you know, we have, you know, patients reach out to us or family members reach out to us um, asking us about specific episodes that, that they would like. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for uh, for us here uh, at Sarcoma Insight, we're very uh, happy and excited uh, to keep building uh, on that and providing information uh, for patients and families. I think that's one way that we definitely know um, we can help. Um, well, thank you guys so much uh, for being on this episode with us. I really appreciate it. Okay. I'm very excited about the registry uh, and, uh, and I know it's going to be very, very big. And we always finish uh, by letting everyone know that it's important to note that every patient's case is unique and treatment uh, for each diagnosis depending on the discussion with your team of physicians. If you'd like more information, don't hesitate to check out the links uh, on our episode description. Uh, for this episode, we do have um, a link to the Academy's uh, um, website on the registry. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please uh, make sure to hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Sarcoma Insight.